Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's podcast. We are a church from the downtown area of Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we listen to God's word from the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph. We pray that the Lord will draw us to him as we find ourselves in the story of God amidst suffering. Well, today's Mother's Day, and so real quickly, sorry, Ethan, uh, we wanted to recognize a couple things. One is, I know that this is a day that some of you are deeply excited about, and others of you, uh, this day brings up a lot of pain. And so what we wanted to do today is just pray for you moms, um, pray for everything around this day. And so I'm going to, real quickly, I'm just going to pray for you. I've written out a prayer, so I'm going to read it so I don't forget some of the areas that I felt the Lord was asking us to pray. And then I'll pray for the sermon, and we'll get into the sermon. So if you would, just bow your heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, as we, as we stop today to recognize moms, um, we need to first come to you to do a miracle in the lives of the women in the room that desperately want to be moms but aren't. Lord, would you please help them to trust you, no matter what that means about this specific space in their lives. Father, for the moms that are afraid of failure, would you help them to fear nothing but you? Father, for the single moms, for the sing- oh, sorry, for the single women that are so desired to be a mom but aren't yet married, Lord, would you please um, not let them settle but hold relentlessly to you in this time of waiting? Father, I pray for those awaiting the adoption of their son or daughter. Father, please bring them home swiftly and safely. Protect them in the distance before then. Mom, for, for, Lord, for the moms that have released children for adoption, God, would you rest their hearts and show them your work in the whole process. Father, for the foster moms, oh, Lord, give them strength and the ability to make a lasting effect for the glory, for your glory in the lives of these kids. Lord, I pray for those that maybe don't know or have never met their mom. Help them to know you better than any hole that this may leave in their lives. Father, for the moms that feel deep regret, help them to see your redemption in their futures. Father, for for single moms, whether a widow or for any other reason, we pray for your grace, that you would fill in the gap that is felt when doing this on their own and remind them, please, Lord, remind them that they have you and they have a family through you. They are not alone. For those who have lost moms, Holy Spirit, please comfort like you promised to do so. For moms that aren't present in their home, God, help them to see their value, the value of the role that you have placed them in. I pray for the moms that have lost children either in the womb or after birth. Father, please show them that you are at work and sovereign even in this incredibly painful loss. For expecting moms or new moms, Oh, Jesus, please help them to have peace, knowing that you are their strength. For those that have had or currently have abusive moms, Lord, please restore what is so very broken. For the moms that are empty nesters, God, I pray that you'd help them to trust your leading on their kids' lives. Help them to have their identity so rooted in you that they don't get lost in this season. Lord, I pray for the moms that don't have the support of their husbands, 
either spiritually or just not being present at home. Lord, would you please crab these men's hearts in a way that only you can. Help these moms to see you working in their hearts and to be patient in that work. For moms that just can't stop comparing themselves. Father, I pray that you'd help them to see themselves fearfully and wonderfully made. Help them to identify their worth and identity as children of you. Help them to be the moms you created them to be. Father, we thank you for the spiritual moms who play the role of mom to so many. Thank you for their obedience to the Spirit and filling in this gap. Father, for the moms that have messed up or are messing up in huge ways, help them to see you as the Redeemer that you are, to repent and to draw near to you. Father, for the moms that have children that have walked away from their relationship with them, Lord, would you do what only you can do and restore and reconcile? For the moms who have unbelieving children or kids with unbelieving moms, God, would you bring them home to your family? For the military moms, Father, will you give peace to these moms as their kids serve in this way? Father, I pray that you would show everyone today that their value is in you. It isn't dependent on whatever role that they play or how well they do in the roles that you have them in, but it's entirely on being known by you and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, deemed holy, blameless, and adopted child of you, our God and King. Father, as we transition out of this time into your word, God, I pray that you would be glorified. Pray whatever distractions are in the way or whatever uh, grief or joy that is felt today, God, that you would allow us to put those emotions under your control and allow you to work uh, mighty ways, God, because we know that you are at work in our lives. And so as we look at your word today, God, I pray, I pray that I would get out of the way, that the distractions would fade, and God, um, people would be excited to know you, not because of anything I say, but because of what you're doing in their hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for letting us do that, guys. Um, well, it's a new day. Uh, we're starting a, a new series, a new sermon series. I, I say series loosely. We here at Rev just usually sit entirely in the book, in a specific book. It's, we took a year and a half to get through John. We've kind of done that over the last 10 years. And so this, this section, what we'd like to do is we're going to teach through um, the study. We're going to do a study of the book of Genesis, but we're going to do it around the life of Joseph. So we're going to hit chapters 37 through 50 for the next four, six, seven months. Who knows? You know how it works. Um, and, um, and we really wanted to do this uh, because we wanted to help us as a church find ourselves in the story of God, even amidst suffering. One of the things that I think is, is, um, is difficult about popping into the life of Joseph is that it's in chapter 37. There are 36 chapters of Genesis that hit prior to this section. And so for... Um, for us, we, we kind of are just starting somewhere, and that's, that's difficult when going into book. Uh, a second thing, we also recognize that many Christians as a whole are fairly anemic when it comes to Old Testament understanding. We, we tend to spend most of our energy in the New Testament. We, we, we like the New Testament. It seems to be a little bit more understandable, but, but when we struggle to read or understand the Old Testament, we're missing out on two-thirds of the story of God. And so um, we wanted to help us dig into that and to 
to see the story that God is telling us. But to do that, before we can even get to the life of Joseph, we're going to spend the next few weeks telling the story that gets us to Joseph in Scripture. Um, Today, what I'm going to try and do is uh, teach you the whole story in one day. So we should be here. We should be out here in a few hours. Um, But our hope and our desire on going through this study and why we're doing this is, is twofold. There's two kind of primary purposes that we're hoping that will settle into your, just kind of down into your hearts by the end or in the middle of this study. And the first one is, is that the story we find ourselves in is about God, not us. See, I think too often when we come to scriptures, we look at the scriptures and we start trying to look at it. Okay, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to say to me? And yes, God will speak to us through his word. But this story is primarily about him. In the beginning, God, that's the first line. Like, we know that this is about him. It's not about us. And when we lose sight of the fact that this is about him and what he is doing and how he is working, we can become all kinds of narcissistic and make all kinds of mistakes and issues in our understanding of that. And when we realize that this story is God, is of God, has been preserved for us, then the second reality can really take shape in our hearts. And this is what we're hoping will be true of all of us um, throughout this time in Genesis, is that we will flourish regardless of our circumstances, by finding ourselves in the story of God. See, I think our flourishing is when we recognize that this isn't our story, this is God's story, and that God wants us to be in his story. He is, he is playing a role of his story through us and in us. We can see that we can start to flourish, and this will help us in so many ways. The more we learn and grow in our understanding of God, of who God is, we start to see his purposes for our life and how we can flourish in this world, even though we are sojourners, a part of a kingdom that is not fully here. It's inaugurated, but not fully here. And this is what happens. And so as we look at this, I hope, I hope we learn so many powerful things, but I hope you, we settle into this, oh, like the Lord is, one of the best positions I can have is, is be a part of the story that God is telling. Not that it's about me, but that God is telling a story in me and through me for his glory. So when we keep the Bible in its rightful place, the word of God about being about God, we can have much strength and hope is. And what I'm going to do today is there are many difficulties that come when we lose sight of the story of God. There are many things that will, that will go awry in our lives personally when we lose sight of the story of God. I'm going to just hit one of them today for you guys in our application. I'll get to that at the end because what I'm going to try to do right now is I'm going to try and zoom way out And I'm going to try and give you the story of God in one sermon in less than 30 minutes or so. So we're going to try and do it. I promise you I will skip a whole lot of really pertinent information. So I would encourage you to read it, to get into it. And so what we'll do is we'll zoom out today, just so those of you like the plan, we're going to zoom out today. And then the next two weeks, we're going to zoom in a little bit and get ourselves from Genesis to Abraham and from Abraham to Joseph so that we can know where Joseph is at in the story of God. So that's what we're going to do through this time. So we, we already said it, creation. God created everything. In the beginning, God. The story we find ourselves in is ultimately not about us, but our sovereign, amazing, good, incredibly powerful God, the source of all things, the ruler of all things. This is who we know this story is about. God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. He created us in his image, Genesis 1.28 and 26-28. He did this so that we 
as his created, being, uh, created beings might fill the earth with his glory by flourishing under his righteous reign as our creator. Uh, John Mitchell does a discipleship material, and so I just stole this from his. He told me not to give him credit, but there you go. You're getting credit, John. Um, I know that it's Jesus in you, so don't pat John's back. Pat Jesus' back. Okay. Um, he says it this way. He says, when, when talking about after the creation, so God created, again, there's all sorts of beautiful things around God's creation, and I would encourage you to study it, and you can spend a year, two years, three years just learning about that first bit of creation, but we're going to just zip out. God created this world with the intent of us, mankind, flourishing under his reign and doing these things. And as John says in his, in his discipleship material, he says, after flourishing in Eden under God's righteous reign for a time, Adam and Eve, God's first image bearers, rebelled against their creator king by following the evil one into sin, thereby plunging themselves and us, their descendants, under the curse of sin. Having become worthy of God's righteous wrath, we as a race alienated ourselves from the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Consequently, as victims and culprits of the fall, we became alienated from ourselves, one another, and the rest of creation, so that neither we nor our world are what we were meant to be since we forfeited the, flir- forfeited the flourishing God designed for us by rebelling against him. See, it didn't take long for us to figure out in this story that things went wrong. And one of the things that I love about the scriptures is that, is that God doesn't just give us all the, the prepositions. This, God is powerful and God doesn't give us all those statements, but he, he shows us that through story. And we see the value story and we see, we see like teeth kind of sink into this truth when we can say, wait a minute, this, is, this includes lives. And he's doing these things and it helps us see here. And so right here early on, like any good story, there's a villain, we're in trouble, we need help. And so Genesis 3.15, um, before uh, God pronounces judgment on humanity, God promised to fix that which was broken. He does it in 3.15 and says it this way. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman speaking to the evil one. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, something we need to know about the Old Testament is the words that are used are very intentional. And they're meant to be little flag markers for us. And so right here, what we see is this, this little flag marker. Okay, we should pay attention. Something is going to happen with offspring. And so this should cue us in. Anytime we see genealogies, and we'll talk about those more in the coming weeks, but anytime we see those, we should be going, wait, 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 there's that flag, that's that marker, God's doing something to tell a story, pay attention. As one of my friends and pastors said, the, one of the questions that we can, should continue to ask when reading through the Old Testament is, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? As God is weaving his story at the very beginning, it doesn't take long for it all to go wrong. But God, in that moment, makes a profound promise. Says, hey, I will, I will redeem. I will correct. I will right side this up. And that's the story that we find ourselves in. After this time, we start working ourselves through different characters in the Bible, and you'll see these little pickups. I'm just going to highlight a few of these ones that help us see that God is, is taking us down the line. He's taking us through to Jesus. In, in Seth, we see that Seth is the replacement of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth means appointed one. In Genesis 4, Eve says this. She says about Seth, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. Flag. Flag. Move on 
from Seth, and we go to Enosh, who was born, and people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so here we see this, the people working their way through the genealogies. And I'm skipping a few here from Enosh to, for, for, sorry, from Enosh to, to Noah, you get seven generations. In there is Enoch, um, who walked with God and was not found. He did, literally like didn't die. He just was taken up to God. We see that in Hebrews 11 as well. And so we get ourselves to Noah, and if you've spent any time around the church, you know that things were not looking good in this world. In fact, the story of Scripture kind of just shows us getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and God continually working and working and working and redeeming and reconciling and fixing and working His purposes through and through. Um, sorry, Lamech is, is father of Noah. Genesis 5.29 says this, out of the, uh, Noah says this, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one, speaking of Lamech, shall, uh, speaking of Noah, sorry, shall bring us relief from our, from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Now look at that language, out of the ground, our work. What is he taking us back to? Even at Noah, he's taking us all the way back to the garden. This is being woven in as you pay attention to these things, pointing back to Adam in the garden, a new start through Noah. Noah, we see in Genesis 9, 26, as Noah's blessing his children after the flood, he calls, uh, he calls um, God, the, when he's blessing God, he calls God the God of Shem, one of his descendants. And so here we see after Noah, okay, now we, we, gotta, we gotta watch, flag, here, here's Shem. Out of, the, out of the line of Seth, working his way down. And we see this, this story unfolding. And guys, there's so many incredible things of like people doing really great things and people doing really not great things and, and God continuing to work. And every now and then we get that little flag and say, hey, hey, pay attention. Here's the marker. God's offspring is still coming. Is this the one? After Shem, we get nine different generations, kind of small generations that don't say a lot other than they're there. Before we get to Abram, we know him as Abraham, means father of many. God brings us to Abraham. In fact, this is where we get the, the big three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we see this. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this is the promised seed. Abraham, the father of many. This is where Abraham has no kids. We're gonna zoom in and talk about him more next week. But we see in Genesis 15, we see the, the promise of, of, the, um, of the offspring happening. We see it ultimately as a... Um, huge part of us getting to Jesus, this covenant that happens, and we'll use the covenantal language next week. We'll talk about that as well. And so this all happens. I'm not going to read Genesis 15. Go read it yourself. If you want to read ahead, it's awesome. Okay, but we'll talk more about it next week. But we see here in Genesis 12, we're, we're 12 chapters in, and um, we see that through Abraham's offspring, he will bring the nation of Israel. So we have this, this offspring happening again. It's important for us. In, in Galatians 3.16, we see this. Uh, it says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. 
It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So in Genesis 12, we're seeing that the offspring and the way that all the nations are blessed are not just by more babies, but by a specific one. In fact, if you read a little bit further down in in Galatians, this is just wonderful. Galatians 3.29 says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, guys, that language is so rich. But what that language tells us today, those of us who haven't spent time in, in, in Jerusalem and walking through Abraham, we can't find our lineage and trace it back to Isaac or any of these people. What that tells us right here is that right here, we have been inducted. We have been brought into the story of God through the Messiah. This story is woven all the way through and you and I are invited to be a part of the story. We are not the primary point are part of the story where our lives, our brokenness and our difficulties and, and our triumphs and everything that happens in us is meant to be a picture of the redeeming work that God is doing in all of us. Which brings me to the other two big names of Abraham, Isaac, the other big two of the three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac is the child of promise to Abraham and Sarah. Guys, that statement, child of promise, is full of rich theology. We'll talk about that in two weeks when we work in that section of Scripture. And then we get to Jacob, who gets renamed Israel, uh, wrestles with God. Um, Jacob is chosen by God to be one of whom the promise is coming through, and he has 12 sons. Now put a little flag in here. This is where we get to Joseph. This is where we get to the life of Joseph, right? After all of that stuff has happened, the flood, all the many things that God has done, and right here we come to one of Jacob, or now Israel's 12 sons. One of the things that's really unique is you'll see Israel in the, in the life that he plays. Again, what I love about this is that you look at all these characters and you zoom in and you realize very quickly that none of them have it put together. They're all mess-ups. But what I love is all the way through our story of Joseph, you'll see that Jacob and Israel be used differently until a very specific point, and I'm excited for us to get to that as well. But Jacob gets renamed Israel, and we have, here's, here's Joseph. And what's funny is Joseph actually isn't a part of the line, the promise to bring us to Messiah. Joseph's role, hear this, this is important. Joseph's role is just playing the part that he's supposed to do to help preserve the people whom the Messiah will come through. Joseph doesn't even get to be the one that is tied into Jesus and genealogy. That comes through the tribe of Judah. That comes from Judah. And the blessing that Israel gives to Judah in Genesis 49, verses 8a and 10, he says, Judah, your brother shall praise you. And a little bit further down in verse 10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The the scepter, the king's scepter, here's that, oh, the reign of God, his rule, his kingship, his, his lordship. There's what the language is. Oh, it's coming through the line of Judah. Put a marker in there. It pops us into that spot now. And all of a sudden we go, wait a second. Okay, what was, what was begun with the promise in Genesis 3.15? Now here in Genesis 49, we're seeing the promise of the scepter, the king's scepter going forward. As the story continues to go on, don't, don't let yourself tune out. I promise you this story is profound and beautiful. 
Then in 2 Samuel 7, we get to David, and it says this. It says, thus the Lord of hosts. So, so moving on from Judah, we get down to King David. The Lord of hosts, I took from the pasture from following the sheep that you shall be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be distributed or to be disper- disturbed no more and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you the rest. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, you will lie and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then down in verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established. Guys, what's beautiful about this section is this, is this is where David's actually wanting to make a house for the Lord. He's, he's literally like, this, this whole conversation that he's having with God, he goes to Nathan and says, hey, I feel like I have this wonderful home and, and our God dwells in tents. I want to make him a great home. And, and Nathan's like, yeah, do it. And then God comes to Nathan that night and says, no, 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 don't do it. Don't let him do it, okay? We're going to do it through his son, his offspring. Flag, offspring. Is this the one? And he says, it'll be established forever. You know what? I love David's response in this. Man, a, a guy that made so many mistakes. I love his response to this. He literally is like, God, why are you so good to me? After this promise, when he wanted to do something for God and say, God says, no, 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 you're not going to do that for me. Your son's going to do that. But this is what I'm going to do. And we see that Solomon, his son, dies. We know the promise comes through Solomon. So, so obviously this, this offspring must be speaking of something else. And this is where the term son of David became synonymous with Messiah. This is the Abrahamic promise to David is the fulfillment of the promise to Judah or near fulfillment. Remember, the Messiah would come through Judah. You have the scepter and the Christ is coming through you. Solomon dies and we see that, that it's still through the line of David. So when Jesus sets on the scene, guys, when, when people are calling him son of David, especially like the culmination of the Palm Sunday, they're literally declaring him as the seed, as the offspring, as the Messiah from the promise of Genesis 3. Isaiah 9, 6, to get in some of the prophets here, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says this, for to, uh, for to us, you've read it a million times on Christmas, right? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall, rest, shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah speaking of the Messiah. Isaiah 40 and 52, we see that the Messiah will come. He will be our God, that he reigns. We see this all over in Scripture. In fact, we get ourselves now to the major and the minor prophets, and these things are, are working their way through to show us we see that the Messiah, um, we, they bring greater and greater clarity. In fact, one of the things that's really interesting, if you look at it, we have, th- we have three major 
prophets and, and, and 12 minor prophets in the book of, in the Bible. Well, the big three, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and the 12 sons. This book is woven with just brilliance of what God is doing. He's speaking so many clear and beautiful things. We didn't even touch the idea of blessing or curse, and we're going to talk about that. All of it pointing. And then Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Ezekiel talks about this as being a heart of stone removed into a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 34 is where you see that. Ezra and Nehemiah, we see the near fulfillment of this kingdom. They're, they're moved out of exile and brought back into the promised land and everything's seemingly going okay, but if you read them, you realize they always just fall short just a little bit. The people of God aren't welcomed in there. There's a, there's a fight between the, the tribes of Judah, the, the exiles and those that had stayed in Jerusalem under, under um, slavery. And it's kind of all these big issues here. And ultimately, we, we see that there's like 100 years of, of maybe rule. And at this point, at this time, it, we're in the 400 years of silence. And people are like, is this it? Have we, have we made it? We're in our promised land. Who's the one? And everyone seemingly falls just short. Over and over and over again. Almost there, but not. So then when we get to chapter one of Matthew, and we see the word genealogy, that should put another flag up and go, wait, 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 hang on. Offspring. Offspring. Wait, wait, I know that there's something here. And what, is, what does Matthew do? We see it in Luke as well, Luke chapter four. What do they do? They, they trace back. Here's how we know. But what is the first line in, in, in Jesus' genealogy? You ready? It is the, it is the um, I am the offspring of the seed of, oh, sorry, my bad. It is the son of Abraham and the son of David. What do we see right here? The son of David, the Messiah term. The very, the promise of, of the, the nation being brought by Abraham in Genesis 12, which is a, is a culmination of the promise being given to the serpent in the garden right after Adam and Eve fall to sin. And we get to Jesus. And then we get the rest of the New Testament. We see that Jesus is the offspring of a virgin, of the seed of a woman. It takes us back to Genesis. And then we get all the rest of the New Testament where it's working out what life looks like post-Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and what it means to live as a part of the kingdom of God that isn't fully completed yet. We see that the promised king is Jesus, that he is the one on the throne, and we await his second coming to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And see, for, for most of us, we pop into the story at Matthew. We step in right there. And maybe, maybe some of us can go, well, you know, I've seen Charleston Heston or I've got, you know, like some of the Moses stories. I mean, guys, I skipped a bunch of stuff. I skipped Moses, a bunch of judges and kings, the 
Daniel, all of Daniel, I didn't talk about that at all. There is so much God is doing in this story to show us that what he is doing and who he is. So much that we find in this that's amazing. This is, this is the story of God, the story where he is writing the story to bring all things in their created place, doing what they were created to do in a loving relationship with their creator. Again, John's material says it this way. He says, God's eternal purpose was to fill the earth with his glory by filling it with human, human flourishing that points to him. What Adam and Eve failed to do, God did through Jesus, the Savior King, who through his perfect life, sacrificial death, resurrection, and ascension into glory established God's righteous reign upon the earth by rescuing God's people from sin, death, and the devil. In so doing, God restored to us the life we were created to live, long to know, forfeited at the fall, and can only rediscover in Jesus Christ who we who are his experience this restored life in part in the present age and anticipate its fullness in the age to come, believing that in Christ, God's kingdom has come, is coming, and will one day fill the earth. I wish I could have done that with his voice. Sorry. See, there are so many issues that arise with us, guys, when we, when we lose sight of the bigger story. So many things go wrong when we lose sight of the bigger story. In fact, when you look at the scriptures, what do you see happen to the people of Israel when they forget the story of what God's doing? They struggle and they struggle. Why? This is why you see Joshua telling every tribe to bring a stone of remembrance when they cross the Jordan. Why? So that someone later on can look and go, what does that stone mean? And they can tell the story of God. If we don't know what God is doing and the story of God and where he's at, then, then, then we're going we're gonna to miss a lot of what our purpose is today. So there are many issues that arise when we lose sight of what God is doing. But the one I wanted to focus on today, this is your, your one application. When we remember just how amazing God is to work out his plan and his story in spite of all of the difficulties and struggles of the people, he's using the story. Over thousands of years, he works out this work of redemption through broken, selfish people. Then this is what we should remember. This should show us that he too can handle our story. Church, we gotta we gotta recognize this. Like he's he is preserved for us. He has worked out through this really crazy direction along the way through the story to get us to Jesus where we could bring salvation. He has done that beautifully. And he's preserved it for us. And then we step on with this vapor of a life that James tells us we have. It's here one minute, gone another. This should give us confidence to stand boldly on the grace of God, knowing that that no matter what happens. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how many times I sin or make mistakes, he will accomplish his purposes in and through me for his glory. Guys, this, this should be so exciting for us. This should be amazing. When you look at a guy like David and you realize that like the son of David is literally the term for Messiah, like a man after God's own heart, look at his life. But God, but God, Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses, but God. Because when we, when we zoom out and we see the story, and when we, when we go through some absolutely horrible things, and just spoiler alert, Joseph goes through some atrociously horrible things, okay? And we see that God is, is with us, 
that he's still accomplishing his purposes? It doesn't make us go, oh, cool, God, do whatever you want and not care. It makes us recognize that we have no control and say, God, by your mercy and your grace, let me walk with you. By your spirit, do something profound in and through me for your glory because I can't do it on my own. Our life task is to be a character in the greatest story ever told. That's what we want. We want to we be in this story. And if you bear the name of Christ, like Galatians 3.29 said, then you are in the story. Then God is working out his plan of redemption in the life of you and many other people around with his timing and his purpose. And it's beautiful. And it will not be thwarted. No matter how much you mess up, he can still miraculously use you for his purposes. As Joseph says in Genesis 50, 20, which we'll get to in, who knows, three years. What you meant for evil against me, God meant it for good. Church, hear, hear this. There have been many evils meant for you. Many atrocities done to you by people that, that would claim God even. God's plans will not be thwarted in your life. We will see that he even uses Tamar to continue <laughs> the seed of God. So, so God will do what he's going to do because he loves you and he's good. And we have his story in front of us to, to tell us and to point to all the different people that lost sight of that and he reels them back in and then they lose sight of it again and he reels them back in. If nothing else, guys, this should make us draw really near to the throne of grace, recognize that God's grace makes no sense because he is so gracious with his people. He has shown us that over and over and over. Go read Hosea. I hope that as we look at all the struggles and brokenness that surround Joseph's life, your hearts will be opened again to seeing that God not only can work in your life as a part of his story, but he's already working right now in it. If we don't understand this story, we will never correctly understand who we are or why we're here. We'll, we'll, we'll start living our life as if we're the center point and we'll make really terrible decisions. If we don't stay true to the story of what God is doing and we, we find ourselves distracted from what God is doing by, by something else, we'll, we'll find ourselves living for our own purposes and missing the very thing that God is doing in us and through us. And when this will be most difficult for us is when it gets most difficult. Most of us, if not all of us at some point, and if you haven't yet, you're just young and you haven't had a chance to experience it, will experience some kind of struggle or difficulty that will make you question at the core God's goodness. You'll experience some kind of difficulty. That you'll go, where are you, God? How, how, how can this be happening? How do you think the people felt for that 400-ish years of silence? Or after every time, is this the one? Nope. Wait another 60 years, 100 years, thousands of years. God is working out his purposes. No matter how hard the world tries to stop it, God will not be thwarted. So this is us, church. We, we get to, to dig into who God is in the story he's preserved for us. My hope is, is as I did a really poor job of covering the entirety of it in a short amount of time, my hope is that you would see that there's value to all of it. 
that, that, that one part can't be taken out of others. And this is what's so, so crazy is we want to try and do away with this in some way or want to believe that it's wrong. Guys, name anything in history that's had more scrutiny and still stood the test. I mean, I feel like someone smart would have figured out what was wrong with this at some point. But yet, after trying and trying and trying, God's story is still preserved for us. Why? I think it's primarily because, like I said, it's really one thing to say God is powerful. And many of us, yeah, 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 I believe that. But when you experience his power in your life, that story tells so much deeper to it, speaks so much deeper to our hearts than just this God is powerful. Think about, think about the, the, the first century Jews that were, that were doing the Passover, remembering the power of God freeing his people from Egypt while being oppressed and underneath Roman occupation. You can only hold on to that for so long unless you really truly know the power of God. Similarly, guys, today, this church, our hope is not in anything this world has to offer. Our hope is that Jesus will come again and that his kingdom rule will, will come in entirety in a new heavens and a new earth. A, a promise fulfilled in Jesus. Church, I, I hope as we look at the scriptures in this way, I hope that you find yourself enamored with God. I hope that you, you grow in, 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 in a love for him, not so that you can just say, I have more knowledge, cool, knowledge puffs up, but that he can transform your lives to live more like him in every area. And, and maybe there's a part of the story you've forgotten. Maybe as you've been in a long, dry, desolate place in your life, you're like, God, where are you? You can be reminded of Hosea, where God says, I will lure her to a dry, desolate place, and there I will plant a vineyard. Well, guys, vineyards don't grow overnight. Wherever you find yourself in the story of God, just know that, that if you bear the name of Christ, you're in his story. And he's, he's working out his promise. In fact, if nothing else, guys, maybe we should just look at this and go, wow, thousands of years and promise kept then when we see a promise that says he will complete, he will finish, he will perfect the work that he has begun in you, we should be able to like exhale with ease, like, oh, thank you. If he can do it through all of these people, then he can definitely do it through me. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna sing some more. The next couple weeks, we'll, we'll zoom in just a little bit more before we get to Joseph. And as we do this, guys, I, I'd encourage you, I would challenge you, I'd plead with you to start reading this as the story of God. And recognize that our flourishing will come when we find ourselves in his story, not try to put him into ours. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the work you're doing in our lives, even if we don't see it, God. Like so many of your prophets, the people you raised up to speak of your goodness never saw the full completion of your promises. Abraham never had a dwelling place in the promised land. Moses never got to step foot in the land that you promised for them. John the Baptist never got to see Jesus resurrected on this earth. Father, the more and more we look at your word, I'm, I'm reminded just how 
Um, your story is moving forward whether or not we're the audience for it. <laughs> whether or not we get to see this chapter or the next, God. And so I pray that wherever we find ourselves in your story, God, I pray that we would just be present with that chapter. Watching you write and perfect and create in our stories, not so that we may get glory, but that you and you alone would get the glory. Father, forgive us for losing sight of your story. Forgive us for making you small. Forgive us for us assuming that not seeing the application today means you're not working when we can see you working incredibly powerful ways all throughout history. Father, I pray that no matter where we find ourselves in your story, God, I pray that, that from here on, nothing will rob us of what you're doing. Nothing will take from us the joy which can be found in you. And if that means, Lord, that there are things that we have brought into this story that need to go away, God, then I pray, purge us of them. Rip away that which is not of you in us, Lord. Cut whatever needs to be gone so that we can be your children in the new promise, in the new covenant. The promise that you secured for us in Jesus Christ. Oh God, you are so good. Thank you for preserving your word. Thank you for um, not only telling us you're powerful, but showing us you're powerful. Father, I need no more excuse other than you taking my sinful heart and making it yours to believe in your power, Lord. We thank you for all you're doing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org or on the Church Center app. We encourage you not to neglect meeting together as believers, and may you continue to love God and love others.